So I'm reading this book about astrophysics. I got it for Christmas, and it is one of those books that takes a really complex topic or subject like astrophysics, and it try and boils it down so that just the average person like me can understand it. So really complex uh, topics, and then just making it sort of simple and explaining these big things in a way that I can understand. And I got to tell you, there's still a lot that I don't understand as I read this book, but it is absolutely blowing my mind. And here's what I'm finding out is that when you talk about astrophysics, so this is scientists who are studying the universe and, and all the things that we see in space or don't see in space, uh, but planets and, and stars and all the rest of it. When they're studying these things and when they're observing the things, the numbers that go along with them are just almost beyond comprehension. They're so big that most of us can't get our heads around what that actually means, how many that is. So whether they're talking about the number of stars that are in the universe or even a certain galaxy or a certain part of the universe or the distances between planets and stars and all the, the different things, when they're talking about measurements and counting those things up and trying to observe the universe that we know, the, the numbers are not just millions, but billions and trillions. So again, these are numbers that are so big that they don't even really make sense to our minds, that we can't even fathom what it is to have that many of something or to have a distance that is that far. It's just, it's such a big scale. It's so incredibly huge, the universe. And incredible that, that scientists are trying to figure out more and more uh, about the universe and, and, and how the universe operates and where the earth fits into it and all the rest of it is so incredible. But here is something I read in this book that blew me away right at the beginning because we're talking about all these huge numbers, some of the biggest things that you could ever imagine. And then scientists now believe that all the stuff of the known universe that we can see and even that we can't see, all of the energy and all of the matter once upon a time existed in a volume the size one trillionth of a period, like the little dot at the end of a sentence if you're reading a book. That everything in the universe, all that stuff, the, the, the big, huge, colossal, that we can't even get our mind around, matter and energy existed in a volume one trillionth the size of a period. And it got so hot and, and so crammed in and compressed, it just exploded into this vastness. And scientists continue to try and explain the, the different process of that and, and, and all the implications of it and, and try and come up with different formulas in mathematics to figure so many things out that come with that. But that just blows my mind. Something that is so immense and so huge, once upon a time boiled down to something that is so small that we can barely get our heads around it. And as I think about scientists who uh, spend their lives trying to study the universe and, and what's going on in the universe and what has gone on in the universe, it reminds me of something similar that we read in the Bible. But in the Bible, the language is not scientific. The language is poetic and it's theological. And while some of the questions overlap about the beginning and about the universe, they're really different questions. Where the scientist is looking for, um, you know, the, the physical process of something and, and how we can prove that. In the scriptures, what we have is, is these theological questions and, and questions of meaning and purpose. And yet, we have something similar to what the scientists are saying. Something where we're taking something that's so big and so immense that we can barely even wrap our minds around it. We call that God. But also seeing how it is 
condensed into something so intimate, even personal, into our lives. And so in Genesis chapter 1, we read things like the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And in Genesis 1, is this picture of uh, this chaotic, uninhabitable uh, existence where, where nothing really lives. And then it says, and then God said, let there be light. And there was light. It's like th this huge creative force spoken of in these theological and poetical terms of God's saying. It's God's will. It's God's intention to be creative. And, and out of this um, immense and powerful life-giving word comes all of the conditions for things to come alive. And at the pinnacle of the creation that we read about in Genesis 1 is human beings, male and female, in the image of God, in the image of that creative force. But again, we see something so immense then being boiled down in something so intimate. But, but we see the, the life creative force of God, the divine creative force, bursting forth into the world. Isn't it incredible that the, the scriptures would talk about that as, as God's word? Again, we're thinking about his, his intention and his creative force being spoken into existence. In the New Testament, there's a book called Hebrews. And in that book, one of the themes is the idea of people finding the rest of God, rest of, of life. And it talks about, uh, it goes back through the history of the people of Israel that we read about in the Old Testament and the scriptures. And it talks about... Um, this idea of finding rest that comes from really trusting God, trusting in, in God's word, trusting in what God has said, what he has promised, and then living your life that way. And that is, is sort of the idea of how you find rest in life is that you find yourself in the, the proper relationship to this divine creative life force speaking life into the entire world and finding yourself in that. Now that kind of rest doesn't mean inactivity. It doesn't mean uh, I just don't do anything, but it means rather an experience of joy, peace, and harmony. Uh, the kind of life where you experience joy really deep down, peace, the idea that of, of holistic um, rest, holistic, everything is the way that it ought to be in the proper proportions, and harmony, kind of thinking of, of music when all the parts come together and make something beautiful. And so that's one of the themes in this book of Hebrews, talking about how do we live lives of trust and faith such that we experience the rest of God. And we know that it doesn't mean our circumstances are always easy or good but that we can, we can live in tune to this divine creative force. And as I said, where the writer of Hebrews says this kind of rest comes from is from hearing and trusting God, enough to order our lives around him. And so the author talks about that kind of process like this. And this comes from Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to talk about um, where the author picks up on the word of God. How do we interact with the word of God? Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. So here we start in verse 12 talking about the word of God. Again, that imagery of the, the creative divine force this is God speaking the, the, the life giving power into this world. 
Now, a lot of us, when uh, we hear about the Word of God, we immediately think about the Bible. But the Word of God here, and, and kind of throughout, probably means at least three things, and a combination of all three as we put them together. The Word of God, first we would think about creation itself. So we already touched on that from Genesis 1, this, this way of talking about how uh, the, the Word of God initiating uh, the, the life-giving environment that is all around us. And we read throughout scripture in different places that we can actually experience and know something about God by observing nature, by observing the universe, by observing the world. When we look around, there's certain things that we can see that God has revealed himself to us in his creation. And theologians call this a general revelation. That generally anybody can look around and start to see evidence that God is creator and evidence that God is sustainer and that he's working in the world if we're looking for that kind of thing. Secondly, to get a little more specific, the word of God is often referred to for, as we said, the Bible. And so this is getting a little bit more specific. It's the word of God spoken to us through those who were inspired to write the Bible, the prophets who spoke uh, on behalf of God that were then written and recorded in the Bible. And we have this, this collection of books inspired by God. It's really interesting to think about because the writer of Hebrews is writing this. But referring to the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, doesn't realize that they are actually writing part of the Bible. Uh, Hebrews and, and other books in the New Testament wouldn't have been canonized for, for years, you know, decades and centuries later as the community of faith um, went through processes of canonizing these books, making them part of their scriptures. Uh, but in Hebrews, talking about the word of God being the Bible and the recorded, um, the recorded words spoken by God to and through people and written down. And then to get even more specific, and the Bible in different parts is very clear about this, that, that the word of God in the scriptures is always pointing and leading to and building up to what I would say is the definitive word of God, which is Jesus. The image of the invisible God, that if you're wondering what is the most clear picture of what God looks like, we find it in Jesus in the book of John and other places. But the gospel of John in the first chapter makes this very clear that the word became flesh, that this divine and powerful life-giving intention of God spoken into creation that brings everything, life and power is ultimately Jesus. And that word became flesh and we see that picture of what God is like in Jesus most clearly. And so that is kind of the, the big end of the funnel of general revelation and creation uh, now funneled down more specifically seen in the scriptures and ultimately all of that built up and interpreted through Jesus, the, the word who has become flesh. And by God's Holy Spirit and through these things and through our experiences, we can start to discern God speaking to us. And so in Hebrews, the description of what the word of God is like uses words like alive, and powerful. In other words, the word of God is not just a static thing. It's not just something that's written on words and pages and just stays there and doesn't move, but instead it is living. It has energy and ability. It's transformative. It's, it's working all of the time. It's not just words on a page, but it is, it is God, again, speaking through creation, through the scriptures, through Jesus, but into us. And there is a movement. There is a power in the word of God, an ability to change things and specifically to change us. And we're going to see that because next it says, gives this imagery of sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, <clears throat> cutting between soul and spirit and joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
So what is this imagery? The two-edged sword. It means it penetrates into the core of our being. So now we have this idea of something that is so big and so grand that we can barely get our, uh, our heads around it. That is God. And that is God's creative force spoken into the universe. Now making its way right into us, penetrating us like a sword. So think of a really sharp sword, just, just thrust into somebody and moving through so easily because it's so sharp. And so we have this imagery between soul and spirit or joint and marrow, exposing our thoughts and our desires. In other words, it's going to get to the core of all of those things. It's going to cut right down, right into the center of who we are. That's what the word of God does. It doesn't just stay far out there, but it comes right down into our most vulnerable areas. So it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, and then nothing in all creation is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. So again, we come to this vulnerability, this, this nakedness, this I, I'm exposed, I can't, I can't hide. This isn't something superficial that we might just talk about and say, uh, oh yeah, you know, we just read these words on the page and we kind of take them or leave them or maybe we read them on an academic level up here. No, 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 this comes down to the place where we become vulnerable, that God actually wants to speak into our lives, the things that we're struggling with. He wants his word to interact with our identity and who we are, to go deep down into the core of our lives. And so all these things that we might kind of hold us together and even be our armor to protect us, the word of God is like a sword that just cuts through all of that and makes us once again vulnerable, naked. There's no covering up when we allow the word of God to penetrate into our lives. There's no dressing up. There's no disguises. There's no pretending who we are. But instead, the word of God really gets to who we are. It says it exposes us, in a sense, exposes us before his eyes. And this word, to be exposed, um, is kind of a wrestling term in the original context. And it means literally to bend back the head. So uh, it's a wrestling term that if you're in this wrestling match and you're really getting into it, uh, and finally one wrestler kind of pulls back the head of the other, they're in this vulnerable position, a position of surrender, of, uh, a position where um, they're not able to fight back. It's just, this is how it is. I, I now need to surrender because I have been exposed. I can't protect myself in this way any, anymore. And that's where the writer of Hebrews is saying the word of God comes. It comes to these, these deep places inside of us where we're vulnerable, where we're exposed, where we need to surrender. Now, of course, we have a decision whether or not we're going to be receptive like that to what God wants to say to us. Of course, so many of us, we build up armor to say, I don't want anything to get in that close because that seems so threatening. That seems so uh, potentially painful, like I could get really hurt by that. That there are things inside of me that I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to acknowledge to myself or to other people. Maybe even I don't want to deal with. But in Hebrews here, the word of God cuts right to the core of who we are. And if you feel like that is really threatening and you say, I don't really want any part of that. Listen to the next part. Listen to what our experience ought to be when we allow the word of God to penetrate into our lives, what's the result in verse 14? Because now we meet not just the theory of the word of God, that God might say something to us, but now we meet the word of God, Jesus, who is described in the terms of a high priest. A high priest is someone who would have been tasked with making sure that... <clears throat> The proper things are done to keep people in right relationship with God. So in the Old Testament, that was things like um, bringing sacrifices on behalf of the people to God. 
assuring them that God has forgiven them and that they're right with God and, and different ways of mediating the relationship. So here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, speaking of Jesus as the great high priest. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same things we do, testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So if you think of yourself coming vulnerably before God, think of this, this word of God coming like a sword that comes right down, right into the center of who you are. And you think that's so threatening. And there's things there that I don't want to be exposed. And maybe I don't want God to expose or to know or to deal with. And then we see that what happens when we do that is we realize that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us and who actually wants us to come vulnerably admitting everything that's inside of us, not covering up anything, but then to come boldly or with great confidence into the presence of God. Why? Because there we find his grace, that he's a gracious God and that we receive his mercy. In other words, the result of God's word deeply and intimately penetrating our hearts and mind is confidence to come into his merciful and gracious presence where he can give us exactly what we need most. Isn't that amazing? the word of God to penetrate in us so that we don't have to hide, we don't have to cover up, we don't have to pretend. And when we feel like that's vulnerable and that we might be rejected or that we might not be good enough or that we have shortcomings, that actually we find that when we allow that vulnerability between us and God, we find the great high priest Jesus who shows us that God is gracious and says, come to me boldly and confidently into my presence so that I can give you mercy, so I can give you everything that you need. Isn't that a wonderful picture of what God wants to speak into our lives? So powerfully, way deep down into the core of who we are that he wants to speak into our lives. And yet, I would say many of us don't experience that as much as perhaps we can. That the word of God is something that we sort of associate maybe with a, a dusty old Bible that's on a shelf somewhere. We go, oh, it's the word of God, it's the Bible, and I probably should read it, but I don't read it that often. I feel guilty that I don't read it that often. And once in a while, I go over and I brush the dust off and I randomly open it up and I'm hoping for something powerful, some sort of powerful experience where God speaks to me. But what I find is oftentimes something that doesn't seem very relevant or something that I don't understand very well. And so I sort of put it back and I try to read it the next day or the next day, but it takes me a couple of weeks or a couple of months to get back to it, and we struggle with it. So today is uh, one of our uh, Sundays that we call Soul Care Sundays. It's been a little while since we've had one, but these are Sundays where we want to focus on specific spiritual disciplines, and those spiritual disciplines are not for the purpose of making us feel like, wow, I've mastered some technique, or look how good I am at praying or reading the Bible. But the spiritual disciplines are things that we train ourselves to do in order to open ourselves up to allowing God to speak to us and transform us. And so a little while ago, we did a whole series on prayer and we talked about how prayer opens us up to how God wants to transform us. And today, I want to talk about the Bible and one specific way that we can read the Bible in a really deep way to allow that word of God to penetrate into not only our minds, but into our hearts and to lead towards transformation as we simply set ourselves before God in that vulnerable 
surrendered position and allow him to speak into our lives. So I hope you'll come along with me today. Uh, We have a resource for you that you can get uh, in the description of this video or uh, on our website or the newsletter that was sent out to you this past weekend. And you can take this uh, along with you out of this message. And I'm hoping that you will try this practice we're calling Lectio Divina. And uh, it's an ancient practice, way of reading and praying through the scriptures to try and allow ourselves to hear the word of God and then respond to it. And so we We hope that that resource will be a guide for you, um, that it'll take some of what we're saying in this message, and you'll be able to take it into the week and hopefully try this out uh, and, and find, maybe perhaps for a number of us, a new way of reading the scripture. Lectio Divina means divine reading, and uh, there's four different movements we'll get to in a section. In a second, we start by picking a small section of scripture. So you might be used to reading maybe bigger sections of scriptures, entire stories or chapters or sections that are kind of broken off in the Bible that make sense. In Lectio Divina, what we're trying to do is take maybe those bigger sections and then focus on something that is smaller. So it might be one or two verses, but it could be as small as even just one simple phrase. And the way that you might pick pick the passage that you're going to work through in Lectio Divina could be a number of different ways. So again, you might be reading through different parts of scripture. I always suggest a great place to start is reading through the Gospels. So maybe you're used to reading um, a chapter at a time or a certain section at a time. For Lectio Divino, to pick a smaller section, as you do that, you might uh, find that there's one or two verses, or again, one or two phrases that just seem to stick out to you for one or two reasons. That might be a great spot to start. Pull that out and take it for your passage. You might find that there is something going on in your life, and so you pick a verse that just impacts uh, directly the topic that you're asking about or dealing with in your life. And so you might be really worried. And so you might go and search out a a passage or a verse that talks about worry. Uh, You might be struggling with wisdom. And so you might be reading through the Proverbs and you might find something there that just seems to stand out to you for one reason or another. Could be something that comes from a sermon, something like this on a message on a Sunday you hear and there's a certain verse that just for whatever reason, you might not even know it yet, just hits, it hits you in a certain way, has an impact on you. Those are the kind of things that you want to listen for and look for. And then select a passage that you just want to drill deep down on. Again, maybe just one to two verses or one to two phrases. Something that you can read easily. Something that you might even be able to memorize easily if you just read it a number of times. And then we're going to go through four movements of Lectio Divina. Four different steps of reading through this text. So I'm going to walk you through these different steps and give you just some ideas of how you can walk through these steps in your own life. And as we do it, I'm going to give you some examples of some notes that I took of a time where I did this in a certain passage. Now, I'll tell you, I'm not going to give you all of my notes. They go uh, deeper, uh, they're, they're longer, and they're more intimate. And sometimes there's, you know, as I do this job, a lot of what I learn, I teach to you in messages like this, but there's also some things that uh, as God speaks to me, I feel like are just for me and they're not for uh, the the wider use in a teaching thing. And so I'm not going to share everything that I think God spoke to me uh, in this, but I'm going to share some of my notes just so that you can hear some of the things that uh, you might also uh, be thinking through and how you might uh, work through Lectio Divina. And so in the four movements or four steps, I would encourage you as you go through them, when you finish each step, uh, to do a little bit of journaling and just take some notes on what you're experiencing or what you're learning. So here's the two verses that I'll use in as a example of what I was working through. 
Again, you're going to pick your own passages as you go through. But they come from Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It was a time where I was feeling kind of discontent about some certain things in my life. And this just really fit. It's Paul speaking and he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, whether with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So that was the passage that I took, two verses, pretty familiar passage of scripture for a lot of people, and then entered into the four movements or phases of Lectio Divina. Number one, the phase is reading. In the reading phase, it is what it sounds like. You seek to understand the passage and what it says of itself. You simply read through the passage, probably read through it a number of times. Again, it's a short passage. You're going to read through it over and over and over. And you're just going to try and bring out, what does this text say? That's the key question in the first stage. What does the text say? So what would just, just most people understand about the text? So you read through the grammar and the key words, and you're just going to make some observations about what the meaning of the text is. If you're at a text where you're confused or you have questions, you might in this stage consult study notes if you have a good study Bible. Might be something you ask other people about or you've listened to a message about. But you don't right away, you don't need to feel like you need to be a Bible scholar, but just start with simply, what does it say? So when I read these two verses, and I read through it a number of times, I would just make a number of observations that most people would understand if you took five or ten minutes to read through these verses. So I would say things like, the strength to endure good circumstances and bad circumstances comes from Christ as the source, not my circumstances. And then I would say, but it seems like Paul is saying that this isn't obvious to everyone. It's actually kind of a secret. And so not everybody would come to that conclusion. But it's something that we need to come to understand or to learn. So Paul said that uh, I now know, but he had to learn this. He had to learn the secret. It had to be told to him so we could figure it out. And so it's a learned experience that applies widely to circumstances. Paul talks about all circumstances, whether I've had a lot or whether I've had pretty much nothing. And it's not something that you might obviously or intuitively possess. Again, he's learned a secret. He's learned something he didn't know before and that not everybody else knows. And so I would first start by reading this text. And I'd read it a number of times over and over and over. I'd probably be sitting someplace quiet and doing that and just making some notes. What are your observations about this key question? What does the text say? Second, we go on to meditation. In the meditation phase of Lectio Divino, we meditate on the passage. So we enter into the text with our senses and our emotions. We use our imagination. We seek to try and enter into the world of the text. So if you're reading, say, a story in the Gospels where Jesus does a miracle, you might imagine that you're there. You might imagine that you're one of the characters and ask yourself, what do I hear? What do I see? What am I sensing? What are my emotions? Am I scared? Am I happy? Am I confused? And you, again, start to read over this passage, but this time, meditating on it, putting yourself in the passage. If you're reading a passage that has certain metaphors or imagery, you want to imagine what is the imagery that I'm supposed to be thinking about. Again, engaging your senses. What does it feel like? What, what would I be experiencing if I was actually right there? And we ruminate on the things that attract our attention and we try and listen for God to speak to us. So now we're bringing this a little bit more personally, a little bit more into our heart, into our emotion and asking, God, what are you saying to me? And our key question in this phase is, what is God saying to me through the text? So we've gone to what does the text say? And now we're saying, is there something God wants me to understand about this? So if I go back to my example in Philippians chapter 2, 
some of the things I wrote down was, this is a secret that I don't always feel like I've heard yet. That I don't always feel that kind of uh, deep satisfaction when things aren't going so good. I don't always feel like I'm strong. And then the image that comes to me is around the secret. And so I picture God coming close and whispering in my ear, just like somebody would whisper a secret. And he tells me that Christ will give me strength. It's an imagery for me that was of intimacy and care that God is offering to let me in on this secret if I'm willing to listen to it and accept it. In the midst of a, a challenging time to listen to him as he says, I'm providing for you. I'm in control. I'm working. And so I, I pictured myself even almost like a child and, and their parent coming and saying, I want to tell you what you need to know. Will you listen? For me, that was God telling me that he wants to give me Christ, that he's given me, if I'm willing to receive it, everything that I already need in order to be content. And I can go through everything that I want to go through, but this step is a little bit more intimate, kind of comes out of the study and now comes into the heart. And then we come to the third stage, which is prayer. So after we've read and read and read, and maybe you've read enough, again, short passages that you've memorized it, uh, you meditate on the scripture and then to respond in prayer. So having interacted with God on these levels, and doesn't mean something spectacular is going to happen every time, but entering into these intimate levels. Now um, we want to turn that into a prayer, turn that into a conversation with God. And that conversation can come through various forms. Uh, so it might be making requests of God based on what he's told us and taught us through scripture. It might be thanking God. It might be praising God. But now we are having a conscious conversation where we're listening and where we're responding to, to God in prayer. And so the key question in this phase is, what can I say to the Lord in response to his word? And so it might be, thank you, God, for teaching me. Thank you, God, for giving me. God, I want to praise you for this thing that I've learned about you. Or God, I want to, I want to commit to, uh, to really believing and trusting. Help me believe. And that was where I was at when I made these notes on Philippians chapter 2. And my, my prayer was, God, give me faith and grant me peace even before or whether or not I receive what I think I need to receive. So God, help me in this because when I'm not getting everything I think I need or what I want, it's easy for me to be discontent. And so God, help me in that and give me the faith and peace of trusting in you. And so now we're working this from our head into our heart and now relationally with God in our prayers. And then fourthly, we come to contemplation. And so through contemplation, we come to an understanding of the parts of our lives that need to be transformed by God, God's grace. This is a, a time where we're going to take everything that maybe we've read and meditated and prayed on, and then we're going to sit with it. We're going to let it sink in. This could be just a few moments of quiet. Could be times where you let the impressions that you've already uh, had come to you just really, really sink in. Allow God to impress it deeper on us. Let it, let it really wash over your mind so that it doesn't just kind of rush out when you go on to the next part of your day, but instead that it's something that you capture, that you savor, that you learn from, and, and that becomes part of you. And so we sit in that vulnerable posture that we read about in Hebrews chapter 4 where we let it penetrate us. Now we're not just reading the Bible, we're letting the Bible read us through the Holy Spirit. What's going on in your heart? What's going on with your desires? What's there that maybe conflicts with what God has just taught you or impressed upon you? And out of that, sitting vulnerably in God's presence, 
we want to allow him to invite us to move into action. And so our key question in this, this last phase is, what conversion of the mind, heart, and life is the Lord asking of me? So what action do I need to take? How do I need to respond to what God has spoken to me and what I've spoken to God through his word? And so for me, again, back in Philippians chapter two, it was, it was this commitment to say that I can be content no matter what's going on. And there were some specific things that I was really frustrated with. So I wrote those down. And even if these things don't change, even if I don't get what I think what I need or what I want, I will be content with whatever is going on around, but I will not be content if the Holy Spirit is not leading and guiding my life. And as I walked out, that's what I felt like God was speaking to me. I can be content with any circumstance, but I cannot be content without the presence of the Holy Spirit. And now I want that to move me to action. Move me to action to be more grateful on a, a very conscious level to spend more time praising God and thanking God and making lists of the things that he's providing for me and doing in my life, to consciously not let my frustrations well up into uh, this spot that, that makes me a discontented person, but instead to rely on the fact that the Holy Spirit gives me everything that I need to be satisfied, content, happy, joyful, and at peace as he speaks into my life. So that's an example. And again, we have that resource for you. We hope that you'll take that resource that describes those four phases that we've just talked about and that you can take that uh, and to use that as an instruction and to use those four key phases and four key questions to work through a deep listening, reading, contemplating, praying, and meditating of the word of God coming to you through scripture, maybe coming through your observation of creation as well, and specifically through the spirit of Jesus, the word of God into your life. And there that you can see a word that is alive and powerful. And what I see at work here powerfully, whether we're talking about, uh, again, the study of astrophysics, something so big whittled down to something so small, but also now the metaphysical experience of God's voice. It's the biggest and most powerful creative force working its way into the smallest and most intimate places and creating life bursting forth. And my hope and prayer is that you would know that powerful voice of God speaking to you intimately through his scriptures and through the word of God, transforming you to be more like him. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us um, to take off some of the armor and allow uh, the sword of your spirit to pierce us deep and intimately, that we'd be receptive to you and we'd listen to you. And then as we do that, we know, we trust that you will speak and help us to absorb what you have to say to us into our minds and into our hearts to respond back to you in prayer and then in action that your word would not just come to us, but also go forth into the world around us. Thank you that you do speak to us through uh, your scripture and through your Holy Spirit and through even uh, your creation and nature around us. We are grateful that we have access to you and that we can confidently come into your presence to find that you are gracious and that you give us all the mercy that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.